I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other F words. I really like saying that because I was not on for a couple of weeks and now I'm happy to be back. And we've got a nice special guest today joining us, Zach. It's Lucas Panzika, which I would love to try to define for you what his role is at 1045, but I'm going to butcher it because the man does everything, including producing the Buck Rising show brought to you by Lucas. I'm, I'm just throwing that part in there because I want to make Buck mad, but Buck I like the Buck. Lucas Panzika show featuring Buck Rising. Yes occasionally having Buck Rising on. Lucas, welcome in. Tell the people what you do. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. The Buck Rising Show is actually brought to you by uh, Evolution uh, because we had this conversation last week and somebody got mad at us for pushing Evolution. So the Buck Rising Show is, in fact, it's actually sponsored by Spring Hill Heating and Cooling. We appreciate them joining us last week. But I am a, I am a producer and host at 104.5 The Zone. Largely, I'm the executive producer of the Buck Rising Show and Blaine and Mickey. From one to three, uh, I co-host all of our uh, high school football and basketball coverage. Uh, I call games with Will Bowling during football season and Ron Slade during basketball season. Uh, and then really whenever other stuff comes up, you know, but whether it's Preds, pre and post game stuff during the playoffs or uh, or fill in roles, anything like that. Uh, you know, usually uh, I'm, it's, I'm one of their guys. It's either me or Will Bowling when it comes to all that stuff. And then uh, Ultimate Tennessee podcast, the National Soccer Show uh what all, all that good stuff but primarily uh, a producer and host at 104.5 the zone appreciate y'all having you, me man you left off front door attendant because yeah but yeah. for whatever reason is not trusted to be able to have his own access like what what's he what's 104.5 afraid that buck's gonna do like after hours that yeah he, that he can't have his own access <laughs> I've left that off because I, I, at this point, I've just stopped going to get him. Like I, I did not, I refused to do it last time. I was like, no, I had so much, uh, 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 I, I can cuss on this podcast. Oh yeah. You can cuss on saying? this fucking podcast. I had What's so much you? shit to do the other day when Buck mouth? texted me. <laughs> I, I'm very, uh, FCC regulated lately. Um, I had so much shit to do that day. And I was like, no man, like I, 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 I got, I got to set up the, the digital stream. I got to get my update ready. I got to, you know, get everything situated in the control room and get our audio all lined up and open my email. Like I do not have time to run downstairs and let you into the multiple doors where you need to use a key card. So I had Jonathan Schaefer go and do it. What I won't do when it comes to Buck's tardiness and like we, we show prep over the phone. So like the show is, you know, we prepare every segment. We're very deliberate yeah. about it. It's just about him showing up for it. Uh, but what I won't do is if, if he's extra late one day, is like move spots, you know, to make the break longer and give him some more time. I won't do it. If he's not in that chair by the time the <laughs> open is playing, that's too bad. It's my show now. I, 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 said, I like the I fact said, that he complained about a scooter being in his parking spot. Like, just oh, get yeah. out and move it. Like, yeah. why are you stopping and taking a picture? To well, he didn't have time to get out and move it because it was 959 <laughs> yeah. But uh, But I will say thank you guys very much for having me on. I am enjoying uh, a nice glass of Four Roses bourbon in this whiskey glass that Zach Lyons got me when he came in studio uh, to uh, eat Brussels sprouts and talk about the <laughs> Titans. So since I am on football and other F words, today is a good day. I like it. I can't believe I forgot that he came into studio, microwaved and ate a whole thing of Brussels sprouts. Yes. Yeah, it was the, it was disgusting. I had some too. I had some. I helped him with that. Yeah. yeah. I had Brussels sprouts last night. <laughs> See, I was about to say normal human beings like Brussels sprouts. No, no. 
No, yes. we're not going to go on record as a podcast that's promoting fake news like evolution and now <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Like, give me a break. This is a creationism anti uh, Brussels sprouts podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. God I, created the heavens and earth, <laughs> and he also gave us options to not eat Brussels sprouts. Is that what you're saying? I, it's fair to be disgusted. Satan by. is responsible for Brussels sprouts, and I would think the majority of Americans would agree with me. It is fair to be disgusted by just a steamed bag of Brussels sprouts with no seasoning or like, I get that, but you know, you, you slice them up some olive oil and salt and pepper and some bacon and onions and bake them. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that, that's the good stuff. I, I like deep fried Brussels sprouts. It's just the plain Jane, like you saute them. No, not for me. Mm. It doesn't matter. No I'll steamed. Eat no saute. I'll eat anything you put in front of me. Our zone staff can attest. Uh, I, I <laughs> clean up all the leftovers in the studio when, <laughs> Ramon Foster orders his tacos on Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Who eats the most in the studio? Who leaves the most food behind? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I won't take responsibility for that because I don't leave food laying around all over the studio. I'm just the one that eats it. I'm always happy when it's left behind. Uh, but Ramon Foster, every Tuesday is Taco Tuesday. So R Ramon orders a big thing of, like, Oscars tacos uh, <laughs> to come to the station, and he always gets so much that, that there's just, like, five, six, seven left uh, after he's gone and they're breakfast tacos. So like, you know, cold oh. eggs are not the greatest. So like, for like they're good for like half an hour. I guess if you, you could pop them in the microwave, but I don't care. I eat them. And uh, other than that, you know, it, it's really just, it's really just the morning guys, if I'm being honest, because it just gets left in there all day. There's just a certain amount of people at the zone that, you know, get upset when they walk in and there's food in the studio. Like Blaine Bishop hates it when he walks in and there's food everywhere. Don obviously hates it when her place is covered in food and rightfully so I do not want to sit down in front of my little spot at the studio and just salsa is just splattered all over the, the console <laughs> where I'm supposed to put my laptop and, and do a show for three hours. So I totally get it. I'll just be the one to eat it. Lucas, you, you do play by play. And I got to ask, and Zach also put it in here too. Why not color? Why play by play? So, you know, I, I've done color. I do. I do color with Will when it comes to high school football. Uh, okay. Ultimately, you know, play by play at the highest level is you have the play by play guy and then you have your color guy. That's a former coach or a former player. You know, I I do enough of, of pretending like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I, I like to think that in play by play, <laughs> what I love about it is it's just so it, it's what I fell in love with in this business is kind of taking the audience through the action, reacting to a game in real time to me is the most special thing about sports, right? Like the, the, the in-game the in real-time reaction where you don't know what's going to happen and it's just completely natural uh, and, and you just kind of have to control it and sort of dictate the pace of the game as it's delivered to the audience. Like that is what is beautiful to me about play-by-play, -play, whereas color is not so much the who, what, and where, but the why and the how. Uh, and, and I'm probably not smart enough in a lot of ways to do that at a high level, uh, but certainly at the highest level, those roles go to the guys that played the game that coach the game that can tell you the why and the how a lot better than I can. The, I, the, the, the whole thing of play by play. I mean, you're obviously Mike Keith is the, to me, mm -hmm. the gold standard in the NFL. You're not going to find mm -hmm. anybody better than Mike Keith at, at their job. And um, coach McGinnis, coach Mack is, is awesome too. I mean, I yeah. think they're the best pairing that the Titans have ever had. in, in my opinion, when it comes to guys nationally that are play by play, like who is someone, you know, that you thought was like, okay, that guy, he gets it. That's who I want to strive to be more like. 
So growing up, uh, like I was born in Nashville, but uh, at a young age, we moved to Birmingham. But I stayed, you know, growing up, I was a little kid in Birmingham, big Titans fan. And as you guys know, you know, when you're in other cities, you often don't get the Titans on your local channels like you do here. Uh, and so as a kid, like in elementary school and middle school, uh, it's, I'm laying in my bed like it's the 70s with my radio on listening to Titans radio. Like, and this is like 2008, right? Like this is not 1974 uh, listening to the, to the St. Louis you're, you're Cardinals. You're scrambling to find the signal <laughs> yeah. on a turn. Right, turn it's like standing on the roof of my house. <laughs> like, no, but, uh, but you know, it was either you go like to a restaurant or something and try to watch it or, uh, and we didn't have like Sunday ticket at my house. My parents didn't really care about football until I didn't. Either of them are from America. They didn't know what football was really until I brought it into their lives. So, uh, so it was laying on my bed and listening to Titans radio to Mike Keith and, and to Frank Whitecheck uh, for a large part of my life. So to be honest with you, a lot of that is Mike Keith and he's played a huge role in my career. I've known him since I was 18, been a great mentor, but as far as the national guys go, it's radio play-by-play to me is, is play-by-play at its highest art form. Uh, so Ryan Radke is a guy on Westwood One that I really enjoy. Uh, obviously, Kevin Harlan is just the best yeah, of the best. Kevin Harlan. Uh, yeah, Kevin I love Kevin Harlan. Uh, yeah, not, not many guys can do radio and TV at such a high level like he can. Uh, Kevin Kugler is also a guy that I really enjoy uh, on both radio and television. But, but I'd be lying if I said Mike Keith is not kind of the foremost play-by-play influence in my life because that's the guy I was listening to growing up. Yeah, if you can paint a picture in someone's head when they're not watching. And especially now, I think that's becoming a, a an art form that I don't want to see lost. And I hope it's not lost because there are so many avenues to watch sports, you know, on phones, tablets, whatever. They're even, you know, during the football national championship, they'll have multiple channels and have multiple angles. So I I'm with you radio Play-by-play radio is an absolute art form. And, and the, the names you mentioned, Kevin Harlan specifically, obviously is one of my favorites. And being able to paint that picture to someone who's unable to see the game and have them visualize it in, your, in their head, that's that's an amazing thing. Specifically streakers. Like he, yeah. when that streaker <laughs> yeah. happened, I mean, and wasn't he on the call for the Black Cat at New York yeah. yep. Stadium? Too? Yeah, he, like, I, he got a sponsorship He's a magical reading. person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a magical person that gets all this crazy stuff that happens and he doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, Lucas, Joe Buck, is he unnecessarily hated? Because I feel like he is. I feel like Joe Buck is one of the better play-by-play guys out there. Yeah, I think he absolutely is. I've never really understood the hatred and where it comes from. I read his book. You know, I read his book when I was like uh, in early college um, or whenever it came out. Uh, Yeah, I I really like Joe Buck, man. I I think maybe people look at uh, maybe how he got to where he is and then just – stick to that uh, because, you know, whatever, it's fair. His dad's an absolute legend. Who knows where he'd be if it's not for those connections. But at the same time, what he did with what he had when he got there is become the foremost, you know, network television broadcaster in America. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's awesome that he doesn't go too overboard. He's not, he doesn't scream at you. He doesn't talk a lot. He's the most, I mean, he's so, he's so simplified in all of his calls and straightforward. That, yeah, I really like him. I think also Al Michaels. Uh, I read his book, too. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about him moving over to Amazon. I'll be obviously watching Thursday Night Football, but definitely going to miss seeing him and Chris Collinsworth on Sunday nights. Although Mike Tirico is about as good of a backup as you can get. Yeah. Let's, let's move over to somebody that everyone hates. All right. wait, wait, before hope. we go, before we go. Yes. If, if I were to write a script that is FCC friendly, and it was a play-by-play of something that's happening in a, in a football or baseball or basketball game, and we made it a weekly segment, would you just straight-up read it like uh, 
uh, Ron Burgundy. You just read what's ever on the prompter. As long as uh, it's FCC friendly. What do you mean? Like in what kind? I, I, like like, I'm, like I'm, if let's say that I wrote this script about you, you. It's 20, uh, 2044. Your name's Lucas Panzeca and you're a, uh, you're the play-by-play guy for blah, blah, blah. And something has happened on the field that is hilarious. And you just read it, you know, deadpan. I, I'm sorry, I'm confused. Like, am I calling something? That yeah, I'm you're calling something. Like, like it wouldn't be in front of you, but it would be a script that says it's in front of you. Like the Kevin Harlan streaking thing. Like if I wrote something oh. similar, like an event similar to that. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think I could, I, I'd, I'd like to like to think that all the years of doing play-by-play on the radio that I could handle something like that uh, and keep it FCC safe. I, everything I've ever done has been FCC safe. Uh, you know, I, I just try to keep that my mind conditioned in that way. So I'm looking forward to maybe letting loose a little bit here, uh, but not too much because I don't want to okay. get too comfortable and get myself fired because I have almost done that before. Lebowski likes to say a submarine rolling the length of the field. I thought that maybe if I wrote that script of a submarine actually – rolling on the field and you you know having to call that throughout i the whole see what thing. you're saying yeah. yeah what i what i do enjoy is when you're doing a game with a crew or with a producer and they tell you something to work into the broadcast uh that's always fun like ryan albany's longtime producer at the zone that does all of our uh he does he doesn't work there anymore but did all of our high school stuff would do something with will bowling and i where we each got like a food and we had to incorporate that into the broadcast so like one game we had will got grilled cheese i got enchiladas uh, and Will said something to the effect of when describing the uniform of like Donaldson Christian Academy of something about the color of their helmets with the yellow face mask, like looking like a grilled cheese. And then mine was, you know, like a bunch of offensive linemen packed in there like a, like like enchiladas. So, yeah, stuff like that. I do. I do have fun. with. Look, the only thing that I ask is if Buck ever just comes apart on the radio, just comes apart at the seams and it's it's done for him with the FCC. You got to work in a deep drive to left field and we don't know if he's <laughs> going to put the headset on again. That, that's all I'm asking, Lucas. That's all I want. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, thankfully we do have a dump button uh, and I've had to use it more <laughs> times than I would like. Uh, but, but yes, that that's a good, we do need to do that. If Buck ever slips up, which usually he doesn't, like I'm surprised he has it, you know, cause there's he's been quite a, there's been like two or three times where I was like, ah, I thought he was going to do it. <laughs> and, but I've done that. There was one time that I said we had a poll question uh, like last summer uh, that and it was so stupid. It was like one of our listeners made it and, and Buck retweeted it. And it was just like, would you would you punch 500 children uh, for the Titans to win a Super Bowl? Um, and I said, because reading, you know, I see the word Buck and I, right above the word, would you punch? And I said, would you buck? Would you 500 children? And then, was, oh, what, what was that? What was that? I was like, ah, let's get out of here. It was like right at the end of the segment. And I was like legitimately scared for a little bit because I had only worked there for three months and I didn't want to get pulled in or been full time for three months. I didn't want to get pulled into a meeting. But yeah, obviously said, everybody voted yes, that you would punch 500 children, right? I mean, well, yeah, should be 100 percent. The poll is overwhelmingly yes. Yeah, <laughs> But if it had been what I had almost said, then hopefully the poll would have been skewed the other way. Yes. Lucas, I know you don't want to get fired. And we're not no. going to try to make you say anything you don't want to say, but I'm going to warn you because we're about to talk about Urban Meyer. And I kind of get a little enthusiastic talking about how awful this man is. Mm. So uh, if for those oh, who are good. listening and, and may not have the context, it's a new article out this week uh, in The Athletic by Jason Jinks and Mike Sando going into more minute detail of just how toxic Urban Meyer it was for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got to say, this article made me 
do something that I don't think I've ever done before, which is actually legitimately start to feel bad for Jacksonville fans and players. Cause this organization of all organizations that just didn't need more dysfunction and they got an absolute hurricane of it. I'm just going to start from the top. The article starts with a story of urban telling a, a room full of players and some coaches you know what would happen if I cut you guys? You couldn't get a job paying $15 an hour. And a veteran player in the article says that he lost all respect for him right then. This is apparently early in the season, too. Uh, another veteran member of the football operations staff goes on to say, this is the most toxic environment I've ever been a part of. By far, not even close. Now, I wish they would give us some context of how long that person had been in the league, because there's certainly been other coaches around the league that have Definitely shown their colors about being complete jackasses. Adam Gase yeah. is one that comes to mind for me, but this makes Adam well, Gase. Let's be fair. Adam Gase just hates his family. <laughs> right. So, so Adam so Gase a little hates different. his family and is a, maybe a bit of a perfectionist psychopath, just not perfectionist on the field. But this makes Adam Gase look like Mike Tomlin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, well, I could, but I couldn't because yeah. what, why was this kept quiet? How, how did he even keep quiet? Because you got little things like some of the stuff we've heard before, right? And then the, basically he's going around just threatening to fire every coach, every scout in front of the players. This guy, I can, I can say a lot of people could probably get a second chance or third chance or even fourth chance in the NFL. Like if John Gruden came back and coached, in the NFL, I would not be that surprised. Urban Meyer, 100%, is never going to coach in the NFL again. He's, like, going to have to go the Hugh Freeze route if he ever wants to coach. And nobody could put him on TV because of this. This is – he's he's done, right? I mean, Lucas, what, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised by anything in that article. Like, uh, like appalled, <laughs> sure, because it's like, oh, my God. Like, But not surprised. Like, from everything that we've seen – of him kicking, you know, Lambeau and uh, all the stuff with Marvin Jones. And I mean, hell, we, we were told he on the station that week that the day he got fired, he just walked out of the facility. He just walked out of the right. practice, walked out of the facility, went home and nobody knew anything. His coaches, assistants, his players had no idea what had just gone down. So I, at this, I, the article, I wasn't surprised by anything. Obviously, I still read it very. You weren't surprised he didn't know who Aaron Donald was because that. I think okay, that yeah, is that that one is now that that might be the most egregious thing he did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the entirety of the Urban Meyer era, staying behind, not getting on the team plane, uh, you know, kicking a kicker, uh, every signing Tim Tebow, the most egregious thing he might have done as the head coach, uh, football wise not knowing who Aaron Donald is. Uh, what I, I mean, at the he time, even made I, a player cry, and I still think not knowing who Aaron Donald is is the sure. worst thing he, he has ever done. Hey, Nick, Nick Saban coach. made a Miami Dolphin cry, you know. Uh, when, I remember that when he was with the Dolphins. But, uh, yeah, that was – my instant reaction was like, <laughs> who in that room, when he said that, thought he was kidding, right? Like, I, I was like, hope to God that there was a chuckle in that room when he said, oh, this is 99 guy with the Rams probably going to be a problem for us. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. No, totally. Like, oh no, he, no, he, he doesn't know who, who that is. I can totally see why Mike Vrabel choke slammed him up against the wall. Like this, <laughs> yeah. this is, this would be so out of Mike Vrabel's comfort zone. It's not even funny. It's uh, he, he is truly just a bad human. Like it is, it is amazing. Yes. And, and a lot of coaches are, but we've never seen it splayed out in front of us like this. Right. Like, 
The morning show has been doing something great where they've just periodically been reading lines from his book about leadership. And it <laughs> is amazing. Like some of the stuff written, well, written by Urban Meyer and whoever helped write the book for him. But, and, and the graphic of him on Fox talking about, you know, bullet points, qualities of a, of a team with a bad culture. Um, it's just, you can, you cannot make this stuff up. And the most amazing part is we all thought it was going to be a train wreck, right? Like nobody here was like, Oh, Oh man, Urban Meyer. I don't know, man. I, like I had not one iota of confidence that that would be a success, but it went so much worse than it we did. thought it would. That's the amazing it, thing. How is it worse than we thought it would be? We had a whole episode, actually several episodes we dedicated to Urban's hiring and just how bad it was going to be. One episode in particular, we went around and around on what's the timeline for him getting fired? Like mine was uh, season two. I thought he was going to be fired like mm -hmm. the beginning of season two. I was so disappointed in myself for not taking the obvious, this piece of shit's not going to make it till the end of the season. <laughs> because I mean, by the end of training camp with the whole Tim Tebow debacle and then, and the article touches on it again with him doing the whole, uh, we talked about this on the podcast the first time last season, I couldn't stop laughing about his whole winners and losers shit that he was doing at training camp, blowing whistles, making guys run back and forth to workouts and then he would basically have guys like get around in a circle and do what? Like fucking Oklahoma drills to determine who was the winner and loser of the day. Just over the top stupid. These are not 19 year old kids that you're trying to break out of some high school mentality. Th these are working professionals at the top of their game. And they have such a limited window to, to make it happen in the NFL. And you're treating these guys like they're just some run of the mill hourly employee. Well, it they started with him. Yeah, <laughs> it, it started with him having you know hiring that racist uh, strength and conditioning coach. Mm -hmm. But what it tells me is that the NCAA, as far as schools and allowing coaches to stick around just because they win, it's a little bit more corrupt than what you think. Because you got to know that he is doing the same shit in college, right? I mean, the same belittling of staff, you know, talking down to players because some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's pretty racist. Uh, the these boys from the South, mm -hmm. you know, their transcript transcripts ain't right. The McDonald's quote, those are layered racist racist things to say. That didn't just happen because he came to the NFL. That's been around, and that lets me know that Ohio State and Utah and Florida really, really covered up for Urban Meyer really well. Yeah, well, let's not. I, I don't want to sit, assume that that's the norm, though, in college football because no, well, you know, it, is, it happens more than people think. It, you're absolutely yeah. right; it does. But at the same time, let's look at his time at Florida and just—I mean, look at the like the, the the amount of player arrests, the amount of stuff that was yep. covered up at Florida and at Ohio State with the Zach Smith domestic violence stuff and lying to the media about it. Like this stuff has followed him around everywhere he's been. So now he's, you know, and he's, it's this mentality too of when you're a college coach, like you're molding these players to become men, right? You're molding them for the next level. Like in the NFL, they're, they're already men. Like they are grown up with wives and children and houses uh, and salaries. So yeah, it's that mentality just never left him. It's, it's truly uh, it's, it's amazing that the Jags as, as incompetent of a, a dysfunctional of a franchise as they've been that thought that that would work. It's truly incredible. And so to go back to what Zach was saying, in case you're listening, you don't understand the context from the article, uh, quote, not long after veteran receiver John Brown signed with the Jaguars as a free agent, 
He ran a wrong route in practice. To correct the mistake, Brown, who was from Florida, and rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence ran through the route again after practice. Meyer walked up to the pair and said, hey, Trevor, you're going to have to slow it down for him. Uh, uh, Trevor Meyer said, according to sources, these boys from the South, their transcripts ain't right. Now, here's what's here's what's hysterical to me about if you're trying to defend like, oh, he's talking about an SEC player, but this guy went to, I think he went to South Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh State. I, I forget the, the university he went to, but it's thinly, to me, maybe I'm wrong. And I know Buck was trying to make this argument about it sounded like transcripts from a press conference. I'm like, Buck, you are taking your thin view yeah. of the reporting world and trying to stick it on that. It's not what it is. He's talking about college transcripts yep. and basically saying their grades are a lie. These kids mm-hmm. are idiots. You're going to have to explain it to them like Legos to a five-year-old. Yep. Well, he's born in, John Brown's born in Florida, and right. he went to South Pittsburgh, Kansas, <clears throat> uh, is where or Pittsburgh okay. State University is in Kansas. I, I think it's incredible that someone would say that after barely ever being able to be successful against SEC teams. Like, let, let's let's just be honest here. <laughs> I mean, it's Ohio State has routinely been beat by SEC teams, except for, and he's going to say something about the South, like, it, it's a thinly veiled racist comment. Whether he means it that way or not, that's how it reads on the paper. Not and, to mention he said it to someone who's from the South. Trevor yeah. Lawrence is from Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he knew that. Well, I mean, it's not like they really cared about Trevor Lawrence anyway because, you know, they hired Brian Schottenheimer who totally just spurned Trevor Lawrence through the recruiting process over at Georgia. So it's not like this whole thing is just a mess. And maybe Trevor Lawrence, you know, it's almost like you're having to reset year his rookie year this year because it was such yeah. a disaster last year. You got to hope you, know, you didn't do more damage. Yeah. I, oh, I, I hope say, he did, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I will say, to kind of go back to the argument about if Urban Meyer would other get another job in the NFL, no. I, I don't. I, I think he's out of the NFL for good. I don't even think if he had the option to go back to the NFL, he himself would go back because – one of the pieces in the article I didn't even touch on is him talking about the scouts are useless and Mm -hmm. he didn't like, you know, it it came out multiple times, not even in this article that he didn't like the free agency process. He basically doesn't like the fact that an NFL team is not a complete control freak process like it is in college. So even if some team stepped up to the podium tomorrow and said, if urban Meyer just calls back, we'll hire him. I don't think he'd ever go back because he can't walk in there and control these kids lives like he's able to do in college. And it just, to me, it just paints another spotlight on how antiquated this tough man, you know, get over it, work through the pain type of work environment. That, that's antiquated. I mean, in the NFL, that shit's not going to work anymore because players now know that they have limited windows to get sponsorship, you know, contracts, to make as much money as they can or to try to be as successful as they can in the NFL, because your average players on the field for what, three or four years. I mean, it's rare that you get players that are crossing into the decade type mode. So they're not going to put up with a guy like urban Meyer coming in and telling them, if you get fired tomorrow, you're going to have a $15 an hour job. Now, would he get hired again in college? Absolutely. College is as greasy and nasty as it's ever been. I mean, Look at what's the guy from Baylor. Art, Art Riles. Riles, yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? Every now and then someone is just like, Hey, let, let's see if we can quietly get Art Briles in the door without anybody noticing. And then they let him go like, 
we just say that just it just came to us so just maybe he's just gonna have to go dude you hired him. you <laughs> yeah. brought him in you knew his past and urban meyer him. would get hired and then everybody would revolt and then he'd immediately get fired for whatever position he's getting because i don't we're think he would act for keep it keep one <clears throat> we're talking about this now and i'm not gonna try to dig i'm not gonna dig on the balls too hard lucas i'm gonna leave him alone but <laughs> if tennessee had a coaching option tomorrow a majority of the tennessee fan base like every other college fan base in the world would find a way to argue for Urban Meyer. Am I out of place on that? This is not no. just on Tennessee. I think most fan bases no. would do that. No, you're not. Yeah, no, there would be, a, you know, there there are the win at all costs uh, of type course. of people. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong about that at all. Unfortunately, you're probably right in that he probably is not done coaching. If he wants to coach again, he's probably going to coach again. It's not going to be in the NFL, but if our Bryles can get hired, yeah, Urban Meyer can get hired, especially if Urban's transgressions. Yeah. And look at, at Brian publicly. Kelly. He just keeps getting jobs with zero championships to his name mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, murder on his, you know, rap sheet. Yeah. Uh, Urban, Urban Meyer can, can, if he wants to, he will get hired again in the college game. And it's yeah. going to be, uh, it's going to be a, just a kind of another disaster that probably wins some games but some horrible shit would probably still happen. All right, let's shift gears into things that Titans fans can't leave alone. Namely one Marcus Mariota. <laughs> now I, I got to listen to a little bit of, of Buck show today. Um, I was, I tuned in specifically to try to hear fan reaction to it. I know there wasn't a, a ton of interaction there. Twitter's been eat up with it. Um, I've got family members who read up with it. I, I, I want to lay this out there before we discuss Marcus completely. I want to hear about these family members that are ate up with Marcus going to the Falcons. Like, no, my family listens to this. I don't think I can go into okay. it. Um, so <laughs> I can't, I, I, I'm going to have to leave it alone for the sake of, of sanity, but we're going to get to Matt Ryan to the Colts in a second, but I just want to lay this out there because it, it kind of makes me chuckle about the Falcons in like the span of five to six weeks. They've lost Calvin Ridley for the 2022 season, the Deshaun Watson bidding war, which looked like it was theirs to lose, suddenly went up in smoke. Uh, and they trade away the franchise face in Matt Ryan, and they bring in Marcus Mariota, name him the starter, and give him a contract, which basically says, you're a tank commander for one year. We're going to get another quarterback next year. It's a one-plus-one contract. You're essentially going to have to win a Super Bowl for them to, to, to keep Marcus. But – the number of Titans fans that are, and I want to compartmentalize this fairly because I think it's perfectly fine to be happy for the human being to try to succeed again. I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm a Marcus fan for that standpoint, but the fans that are having this like existential crisis about, and Zach's got it in the notes here, fans that are debating whether or not they should also buy a Falcons Mariota Jersey. There, there's specifically a fan on Twitter, and he is he has just dug himself a hole, right? He's basically said Never, that, not on Titan, Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that Titans fans should not be buying jerseys for the Atlanta Falcons because that puts money in the Atlanta Falcons pocket. That is his premise and all this stuff like give me and and I guess drink because people are making a drinking show out of our uh, our show lately. Give me a fucking break <laughs> because <laughs> because who gives a shit if someone wants to go and waste their money because you are wasting your money on a jersey. First off, it doesn't matter whose jersey it is. It could be Derrick Henry's Titans jersey. It could be Derrick Henry's Alabama jersey. It could be a Minnesota 
Vikings, whatever jersey. It doesn't matter. You're wasting your money. It it literally is the least sensible, one of the least sensible investments you can ever make in your life. If that's what people want to spend their money on to celebrate that Marcus went to Atlanta and he's going to be a one-hit wonder and he'll make it to five games, and then you you should be buying hospital gowns. If you want, if you want something that remembers Marcus from, it's hospital gowns because that's what's going to happen <laughs> here in Atlanta. But don't dictate what other people can spend their money on and want to do. And now he's pivoted, this guy, uh, it's it's a guy. He has a pink um, icon or whatever profile picture, and it's like Very Van Herb, Van Herb, or something that has like M E R C in parentheses. It's something like that. He's now pivoted to hey, if you want to support Marcus, donate to his charity because he got blasted by numerous people, both anti Mariota people and pro Mariota people. He got blasted for his stupid take. And now he's trying to pivot. I just think it's hilarious that just let people do what they want to fucking do. If people want to quit being Titans fans, yeah. If people want to quit being Titans fans and go be Falcons fans, fuck them. Enjoy, enjoy your one season (laughs) as a Falcons fan because you know you're the one making the mistake. Yeah, it's and and everything that uh, that Lebowski ran through of of what the Falcons have basically eaten over the last couple of days, uh, throw in like over $40 million, the largest dead cap hit in NFL history by like $7 million. It is amazing. They were a, they were a sleeper for Deshaun Watson a week ago. And now here you are with Marcus Mariota as your starter. Uh, I think I want to say, I think that's odd to, to want to buy a Jersey of a former player of the team that you like that is yeah, playing I somewhere personally else. Think it's odd. I, I think I it's kind of weird. But at the same time, I don't know. People like collect jerseys, you know. Like I, I've never been, I've never really been one to wear a jersey. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, people, I could see like a fan being like, oh, you know, I think the Raiders jersey is pretty cool. Yeah, oh, Mario, I like Mariota. I'll get a Mariota Raiders jersey. So whatever, maybe they think the same thing about the Falcons. I just never, under, I just don't understand the obsession in general. I understand people liking Mariota and wanting in, and wishing him well. You know, I understand that more than I than I than somebody saying, I hope he fails. I hope he crashes out of the league and that he's unhappy. You know, like I I understand the latter a lot or the former a lot more than the latter of wishing him the opposite of success. But but it is so weird how polarizing he is. That's what doesn't make sense to me because he was he's not a polarizing human. He's just such a he's a quiet, just a, you know, toned down, kind of keeps to himself kind of guy. And, and, and so I find it so odd that, you know, like, like Lawan, you understand, like you either love him or you hate him. I get it. And he's very outspoken. He's all over the place. So if this was all happening with Taylor Lawan uh, and he's bouncing around, going to other teams and some people listen to his podcast, like, no, I'm going to buy a Lawan jersey. And other people are like, no, screw him. You know, I hope he crashes and burns. It's like, whatever. All right. Lawan, some, he's always out there. That's all that's going to happen. But for Marcus, but the thing that I hate is Marcus probably doesn't want that stuff, right? Like he's probably gone out of his way to avoid that type of stuff. He doesn't have any tweet, doesn't have a Twitter account, he's never been active on social media, keeps to himself, lives a very private life. So I feel I almost feel bad that like the people have such overwhelming opinions about him one way or another, because he probably would rather that not be the case. And I think he has he's done a good job. He's done what you're supposed to do if you don't want, if you don't want yourself to be out there like that. But uh, I don't know. I guess people I, people just stick to stuff. I think I know why he's so polarizing. If you'll excuse the terrible analogy, but when when he when 
Mariota came to the Titans, the Titans were absolutely in the worst possible scenario. Mm -hmm. He was literally about the only thing on the field that you could watch and was exciting. The rest of the offense was very no name. And he was an integral part of the rebuilding of the Tennessee Titans. I mean, most fans that I talked to or have this irrational love for Mariota, never wanted to see him leave, was he helped dig this franchise out of the hole. So it's, to me, Mariota is, he's the, the significant other that you found after a string of really bad relationships. But for reasons that were outside of your control, this person moved to another school on the other side of the country or whatever it is. So you had to break up amicably like Mariota leaving the Titans for most people, including myself. I mean, I was frustrated with his play, but you wanted him to do well, but he just couldn't stay healthy and it just wasn't getting done. So you had to amicably say, look, we got to move on. Right. I think that's what it is. I really think that's why he's so polarizing because there's a lot of people out there that are like, no, if you just give him another chance, he's a good guy. Like this is going to work out. He means well, but you're letting your personal feelings come into ultimately what's a business decision at that point. We're a group of idiots that are obsessed with this sport that is an emotional experience for us, but is it a, it's a business decision for everyone else on the other <laughs> side of the, of the, of the film. So those two things don't, they don't mesh well for those of us that, that just want to experience the sport from an emotional standpoint. I think it's the fans. I think it's the 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 Marcus stands that have really through the through the years, and I think the anti Marcus people are probably just as bad now that are keep attacking it and keep doing this and that. Yeah. But back, you know, even a couple of years ago, if you said one bad thing about Marcus, like he had a bad game or he had, he held onto the ball too long, like that Ravens game, that Ravens game where he took like seven or eight sacks and half of them were on him. People went ballistic and people still to this day think. And literally yesterday I saw a tweet from someone saying that they tried to sabotage Marcus in 2019 and and all this stuff that i think is why you have anti-marcus sentiment is because the fans have become so unbearable over the years and that's not fair to marcus look if marcus is he's not going to be good in atlanta okay i'm just gonna go out there and say it's not because i hate the guy it's just because i'm a realistic person he's going to the worst possible offensive weaponry and offensive yeah. line that he can probably go to because they got rid of so much, but they are, they're knowingly blatantly. It looks like to me tanking at the moment, because why do you get the quarterback that your offensive coordinator pretty much couldn't work with a couple years ago and got him benched. And then Tannehill came in and, you know, was awesome. But that's not Marcus's fault. I I I think that people gotta let people just do whatever they want to do. And if people want to cling on to this idea that the Titans did everything they could, you want to know about a quarterback that got mistreated in the Titans franchise? That was Vince Young, and that was blatantly you could see it. Jeff Fisher did not want him. And then, uh, but Bud Adams did, and there you go. That is an actual 
self or sabotage of Vince Young of a quarterback. Now, he ended up just throwing his stuff in the stands and just kind of like going crazy or whatever. <laughs> like that's a little bit different, but Marcus was not sabotaged. And Marcus it was not was an inside every, job. Yeah. yeah, it was not an inside job. He was given every opportunity to win the job and he could not win the job and beat out Ryan Tannehill and he couldn't get it done. And he's not going to get it done in Atlanta. And, you know, that's just, that's just, the, that's life. Like nice guys sometimes finish last and that's where we're at with Marcus. But people do this, you know, at the college game too, a player leaves and, uh, you know, when, when Henry Toa Toa left Tennessee to go to Alabama last summer, it's, it is outrage, right? It's, you know, these kids, they have no respect for the game anymore. No respect for the power T. It doesn't mean anything to him. It's like, look, man, it could probably never did. He's from California. You know, yeah. if, if Alabama gives him the bet, like Jeremy Pruitt just got fired in a dumpster fire, NCAA violations hanging over your head. Players are leaving left and right. Like, sorry, the, 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 what the power T means to you is not enough to keep you there. If your chances of going to the league and achieving all your ultimate dreams of championships and success, if that's going to hinder that, then the power T doesn't mean enough. Sorry. It means enough to you, uh, Bill from, you know, Maynardville, but not to Henry Toa Toa from uh, De La Salle high school in California. So yeah. yeah. People just get hung up on that thinking that their view of their teams is what their, the players view of their teams should be. And that is almost literal, almost never the case. I mean, like 99.9% of the time, never the case, unless you're like a, to use another Tennessee example, John Fulkerson, born and raised in Kingsport. Yeah. Mar Let me say this. Marcus is, does not give a shit that he's not even on Twitter. So he has no clue yeah. that people right. are hating him or loving him. Players only care about the negative, by the way. That includes Taylor Lewan, Will Compton, all these people that people inexplicably love and worship. They only care about the negative. In fact, um, Titans draft tape, uh, Wes... Why, Whistley, wisely is it wisely or Whistley? I don't think I've ever heard him actually say his last name, but Weasley, he's from he's from Broadway Sports Media. Say, probably neither. Yeah, it's probably is neither. <laughs> I probably just butchered it. I'll be turning off the podcast and discuss. But now. but he put out this <laughs> thing animals. today, um, this morning uh, on Tuesday morning of Robert Woods going for uh, 14 catches, I think, for 150 yards. He puts out this clip and he says that he put uh, DJ Reed in a blender Seattle Seahawks if it's a back DJ Reed in the blender and DJ Reed responds to him he's name searching and he only responds to him because negative because I could bet there's like 13 mm -hmm. D pro DJ Reed tweets that he didn't like or didn't even comment on <laughs> they only strive for negative confrontation I think it's fucking ridiculous that people tag players. I think it's ridiculous that, that people that people will get into other people's replies and tag players and say, oh, what do you think of this, Taylor Lewan? Or, oh, <laughs> here, I'm going to tag Dan Orlovsky in this tweet. Like, give me a fucking break. I'm just, I don't, I do not get why people feel they have to not be real about a player's performance. I, I want to touch real quick on, Matt Ryan going to the Colts because this is the other side of the coin, right? Is unfortunately, and I'm going to say this lightly because I know there's a lot of mixed feelings on Matt Ryan and his current performance. On paper, this is the worst case scenario for the AFC South outside of John Watson going to the Colts, which is I was identified earlier, it was not going to happen. A lot of, and including myself, a lot of people were laughing about, oh, it's going to be Jimmy G, it's going to be Mariota, it's going to be 
you know, Baker Mayfield, and all of a sudden out of left field, here comes Matt Ryan, who um, Lucas, I think you pointed this out today. He's only missed like what four games over like a 14 year span. Three. He's missed three regular season games in 14 years. I, I yeah. mean, I had to double check that like four times. Like that can't be true. I mean, that's unreal. And, and he's yeah. still putting up good numbers. So yes, he's got problems. It, it's the, the Falcons would not have released him if he wasn't coming off what his 14th year in the season, his mechanics are breaking down a little bit, that kind of thing. But if you look at it on paper, it's worst case scenario for the AFC South grain of salt. When I say that, am I wrong, Lucas? Look from, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. No, you're not wrong. I'm definitely wrong. Get off my <laughs> I podcast. came out hot there. Yes, you're wrong. No, 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 no. I agree with you. I mean, we, we, you're right. Cause we did that. We sat there pointing and laughing. Ha ha. The Colts are going to have Jimmy G or Baker or Jameis. There's no other options. Um, and Matt Ryan is a better option for the Colts than any of those three. I think by a large margin for me at worst, like worst case for the Colts, he he's like Philip Rivers was right. Like for me, that, that that's I think worst that's best case. Oh, you think it's best case scenario yeah. See, I, for me? That's like the floor. And Philip Rivers was coming off a year when the Colts acquired him that he had like 20 interceptions and you could clearly see the decline in his deep ball and, and maybe some of his decision-making, but you know, a lot of Dinkin and Duncan. He was a good field general and all those things. Uh, I don't know, man, Matt Ryan. And, and listen, I, I don't watch the Falcons every week. You know, I'm in the Titans radio studio every Sunday. Uh, and, and I want, and I'm able to come home and watch Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. But uh, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched a bunch of Matt Ryan snaps last year, uh, but I do know he hasn't thrown for less than 3,900 yards in three years. I know he hasn't had a QBR uh, over a season worse than 90 over the last three years. And I also know that he has not been sacked less than 40 times in a season since 2017. So when you look at surface level, so I'm sure if we had a, a Falcons reporter on here, he would be sitting here tapping his foot, waiting to interject with something. But I surface level, looking at the numbers and all the issues with the Falcons, I don't really see where Matt Ryan has been the problem. Uh, so, and, and, and he's obviously in a much better situation in Indy uh, than in Atlanta. I don't think Indianapolis is the best roster in the NFL, like it's painted by a lot of people, but uh, he's going to have better protection. They're going to improve the wide receiver core. Like Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell are not going to be wide receiver one and two for the Colts. I would think in 2022, they're probably going to draft someone. They're probably going to acquire somebody. Maybe that's Julio Jones. I, I'm sure people have mixed feelings on that, uh, but he's going to have one of the better, one of the elite running backs in the NFL and Jonathan Taylor to act like it's just a, a brush it off. Oh, please. You know, it, it, we're, we're good. You know, this is the same as if they had gotten grabbed Jameis or Baker to me. I don't know. I feel like if you're doing that, then you might be lying to yourself a little bit. Well, let me lie to myself a little bit because, <laughs> because I, I just think it's just, it's just a signing. It's just a trade. And you're, you're talking about a team that is willing to eat 40 million dollars in dead cap for a third round pick. We I've, I watched uh, at least four Atlanta Falcons games. Matt Ryan, he, he's struggling. He's struggling bad. And this, this idea that the Colts offensive line is leaps and bounds above what Atlanta was last year is, is not true. And Carson Wentz actually did an admirable job even though they, he had poorly timed and he was, he was still shitty, but he had poorly timed interceptions and all that. The Titans started not or played 91 different players and won in the division handedly swept the Colts. And I'm supposed to be suddenly like concerned or 
you know, you know, scared of of Matt Ryan, who unfortunately, because he's immobile and he's 37, does not bring as much as what Carson Wentz technically can do because Carson Wentz can still make all the throws, whether they're inaccurate or not. And he has the arm strength and he has the mobility. Matt Ryan does not. And I know people keep downing the Atlanta Falcons and their offensive weapons, but you're talking about Russell Gage. You're talking about Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley for at least four games. You're talking about Cordero Patterson, who had a career year. And you're in a quarterback-friendly offense, which I think this version of the offense that Art Smith brought is a much more quarterback-friendly for an aging quarterback than what you're going to have with Frank Wright. I actually think that even though the Phillip Rivers was two years older than Matt Ryan right now, he was 10 times better. And you're talking about a, a quarterback in Matt Ryan who 17 games still couldn't get to 4,000 yards. And Phillip Rivers was pumping out 4,000 yards every year under 16 games. And I'm looking at it. He's not going to be terrible, right? Because it is a pretty much a dink and dunk safe way to pass the ball when you're under Frank Reich. You can look at Jacoby Brissett. You can look at even Carson Wentz. There is improvement because they play safe football. But when you're going to get into these this difficult schedule that both Indianapolis and Tennessee has, you're looking at maybe a 3,500 to 3,800-yard season in 18 games, 21 touchdowns, nine interceptions, maybe 10 interceptions, and 6.9 yards per attempt. I, I just don't fear them. It's the best of a bad situation, but it's not good enough is how I would put it. I mean, sorry, if I can. Yeah. For me, it's it's about it's about consistency too, right? The, the biggest thing with Carson Wentz, because when you look at Carson Wentz's numbers, 27 touchdowns, seven picks last year. Like if you showed any of us that before the start of last season, said this is what Carson Wentz is going to do. You know, deep down, I'm sure a lot of Titans fans be like, oh, shit, okay, I thought it was going to be like... You know, well, hell, they four. were all like that anyway. Like, a lot of people just overreacted to Carson Wentz anyway, I, I thought. Yeah, uh, I, I Carson Wentz thing, I we I I had no uh, apprehensions about. You know, I, I just, I felt like it was going to crash and burn uh, in some way. Uh, and, and honestly, the first 12 weeks of the season passed by, I said, you know what? He's been pretty solid. This is a playoff team. This team is going to be playing postseason football. And then, oh, my God, did it crash and burn. Uh, I just I don't see that from Matt Ryan. I, and I know he had more interceptions. He had 12 picks last year, I think, more than Carson Wentz. But I don't see the timeliness uh, of those interceptions being as destructive as it was with Carson Wentz. I don't see the maybe the some of the reports about the toxicity of Wentz in the locker room and his inabilities as a leader. I don't see that being an issue. With Matt Ryan, I see uh, Carson Wentz as a guy that could torpedo even the safest of offenses trying to fit a throw into a tight pocket. And Matt Ryan, I think a savvy veteran quarterback that has consistently put up good numbers throughout his career uh, with a little bit of protection and some weapons and a good running game, I think can avoid disaster. And the Colts will have a good enough roster to get into the playoffs by just avoiding disaster. I, I don't know if this means they win the AFC South, uh, but but I also don't know that it means I'm riding the, riding, just riding Matt Ryan off. Well, let me say this. The Colts are not making the playoffs. Barring unmitigated disaster in the AFC South with the Titans, they're not making the playoffs because at this point, with no Matt Eberflus, with with just Michael Pittman, no left tackle, I know that they can sign some guys or whatever. I, I don't see it. 
I just don't see that Matt Ryan, who's in obvious decline, being able to survive another year where he's probably going to get sacked because the the Colts offensive line is literally two or three positions as far as in the scale of good offensive lines in pass protection, better than Atlanta Falcons last year. They're not as good as what everybody wants to say there. I got Colts fans just making up stats. They're they're saying that Matt Ryan had the fastest time to throw in the NFL, fastest release. Well, we all know that it was Ben Roethlisberger, right? Yeah. And we all know that that really doesn't mean shit because Ben Roethlisberger was a shitty-ass quarterback. He was 14th in time to throw. He was 14th when he was under pressure. And he had the he had the fourth most turnover-worthy plays when it came to uh, being pressured or getting the ball out with 2.5 seconds or less. He wasn't that great last year, and it wasn't because of his offensive line because there's not much difference. It's... I don't think I think Colts fans are doing the same thing they did with Philip Rivers, which who was actually a lot better than Matt Ryan was now. And they're doing the same thing that they did with Carson Wentz, where they're overhyping themselves and they're looking at everybody thinks you're getting 2016 Matt Ryan. In fact, uh, uh, Jason Martin pretty much said that the Colts right now are a lot closer to the 2016 Falcons than the Falcons were this last year. I, I, they're even if they are closer, they're nowhere near what the 2016 Falcons were. This this Colts team without Matt Eberflus, without an actual wide receiver too, without a left a real left tackle, without a real right guard, it's just Jonathan Taylor. Nobody's going to be scared of a dead arm Matt Ryan in this, especially in this conference, but especially in the AFC as a whole or the NFL as a whole. There is a reason why the Falcons, besides wanting to hit the restart button, were willing to give up and take on 40 million worth of dead cap because they could still get, they got nothing out of this trade, right? They get some cap room, but does the cap room really matter? No, it didn't matter. So screw it. I, I just, I just don't believe in it. Let me remind you all that that, uh, Broadway, oh my God, I cannot talk. Football and Other F-Words is brought to you by 440 Media. Um, They've got several other podcasts to check out. Gold Standard has got your uh, Predators updates. Fringe Element, I'm sure, is going to be talking about the SEC and their utter meltdown in the the, uh, March Madness NCAA tournament. And uh, Club and Country has got you for Nashville uh, Soccer Club. So definitely check them out at 440sports.com. Quickly. We only got about five or 10 minutes left. So we got to get to a couple of other topics, including the Titans who have continued to make moves despite the fan base convinced again, that we need to fire the entire front office that J Rob sucks. And the Titans go out and acquire Robert Woods, Austin Hooper, keep Dontrell Hilliard. We'll start with Dontrell Hilliard real quick. Um, Zach, what is it? Fans don't understand about him. Uh, I guess they don't watch football because they don't understand that Dontrell <laughs> Hillard compared to Don- Deontay Foreman, it, he's, a, he's a totally different back and that's what you need. And maybe it's an archaic way of thinking, but do you really want it, this team to be taking Henry off the field, even if it's as a decoy and he can't catch passes? You want, you want someone opposite of Derrick Henry. That's what this team wants. Deontay Foreman did really well. He was a great fill-in for Derrick Henry, but that's what he is, a fill-in. $2 million, let him go over there. I mean, to Carolina, it doesn't really matter. If you do not understand what Dontrell Hillard brings to the team, 
over Deontay Foreman, then you obviously have never watched it down in football or really you've watched football. You just never understood the game. Yeah. Well, I like, mean, I, I, I'm with that. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's well said. It's a change of pace. You know, that that's the compliment to Derrick Henry. You're right. Deontay Foreman was the, was the replacement for Derrick Henry. And unfortunately nothing more. I think people also got hung up on the playoff game when all three are, are out there and Deontay Foreman had, a, had a, an extremely explosive run right before Ryan Tannehill throws an interception in the red zone. And it, it all kind of seemed to work well when, when Derrick Henry was not producing. Uh, but, you know, if things go well for the Titans, Derrick Henry will be back producing in 2022, which will mean you don't really have a need for Deontay Foreman. I like the premise Zach laid out where someone has never watched football at all. They stumble across it on TV. What is this? This oblong object? And who is this? It was this dot like for the first time discovering fire in the wheel. That is my, my entire God. extended family, by the way. <laughs> uh, Robert Woods acquired from the Rams uh, for a 2023 sixth round pick, which I thought was a great enough deal already. $10 million base salary, $3.5 million roster bonus, which apparently according to multiple sources today, since the trade is not official, the Titans uh, or I'm sorry, the Rams are the ones paying the $3.5 million roster bonus. So just a little more cherry on top. It, this seems a little lopsided in favor of the Titans. Am I wrong, Lucas? No, and, and I was talking about this today during a break with Buck. Like some of these trades, because uh, we after the Matt Ryan discussion, we're going to the final segment. I was really looking at it like, yeah, they, they really just got a the, the, the Colts really just gave them a third round pick. That's it, a third round pick and got them to eat all that money for their starting quarterback in 2022. The Titans really just gave the Rams a six-round pick for Robert Woods, a six-round pick, and got them to eat the extra $3.5 million. I always wonder what goes into these deals when it comes to that, especially when they do seem so lopsided. Like Washington, what, two third-round picks for Carson Wentz? Uh, so, you know, there has to be more to it, I guess, with the Rams. They're keeping Van Jefferson, uh, keeping Cooper Cup. They sign Allen Robinson. I guess just just getting offloading the contract however you can. I wonder how many of these deals just come down to that, right? Just right. We'll, we just got to get rid of the contract. We'll get what we can get for him. It sucks. He's a great player. I mean, the 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 way that that fan base and that organization has been mourning the loss of Robert Woods has me kind of stunned. You know, I've always known he's a good run blocker and a Mike Vrabel type of player on the field and a, and an explosive guy who you know been on my fancy team a couple times. Like love Robert Woods, but. Man, just the fixture in the locker room and the community. It's like Cooper Cup, this long, detailed statement, uh, like he was losing a friend. I was like, okay, I was kind of taken aback by it, but I guess it's good news for the Titans. But you saw like 50 eulogies. That's yeah. what I felt like you were yes. reading. It was like these eulogies that the, the soul of the LA Rams has departed into the great beyond. <laughs> and it like it's just it's fantastic because that's what you're getting to the locker room. That's what a real leader is, is someone that is like that. And it's it's awesome because he's also University of Tennessee boy, right? I mean, like who isn't Robert Woods? No, 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 no. He's a uh, he went to USC. Did he? Robert Woods yeah, did. Why do I? Why do I think he had Tennessee ties for what? He went to reason. Southern Cal. He might have some type of Tennessee ties, but he's he oh didn't go gosh. there. And I'm not pretty sure he's not from there. Because I feel like Tennessee people have been all about. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Look at this Juniper High School, University of Southern California. California. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I always <laughs> thought that Tennessee people were just all up in arms about Robert Woods for whatever reason, but I feel like they were. <laughs> Well, Tennessee fans get up in arms about a lot of stuff. So it's, yes. you know, you know, you can mix and match. The worst fan uh, base ever. You would really think that Robert Woods was <laughs> was coming to Tennessee on one of those 
Nordic funeral pyres. They're just firing a bow and arrow into a burning boat. Right. I mean, it'd be like, seriously, they're beside themselves that he's leaving. Yeah. But hey, I, I hope it turns out well. I'm trying not to get excited anymore about free free agent acquisitions by the Titans in the offseason because we've gone through Clowney. We've gone through Julio. Broadway sports made t-shirts for both of them and we're Owen to. So I will I, I just, say this. <laughs> I think the, the amount of fans and the amount of media members who have said that this is a tragic loss compared to them popping champagne bottles that Julio has gone and popping champagne bottles that Jadavion Clowney has gone is a good sign. I, I feel like it's a yeah. good sign. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The reaction that, yeah, we hadn't really talked about that this week. The reaction when Julio and Clowney left from those fan bases was nothing like what you've seen with Robert Woods leaving, even off <laughs> yeah. a torn ACL. So you're right. And the media was the same way too, because you're like, oh, well, it's just Julio Jones. I mean, like, yeah, he that's when we really yeah. should have known. Everybody warned us that the Julio Jones trade in hindsight was mm-hmm. not going to be good at the time that happened. And then we all just ignored it. I mean, that's, that's why much what it, happened. It, that's why it, won't, it wouldn't exactly concern me if he does end up in Indianapolis because those hamstring issues, man, going back to 2020 and then 2021, you know, what makes you think the older he gets, the better his hamstring will yeah. get in his NFL career. Zach, talk to the masses about Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper is just a great dual threat tied in. That's what you need. Baker Mayfield sucks. So anything that happened in <laughs> Cleveland doesn't really fucking matter, to be honest with you, because, <laughs> because he's a shitty ass quarterback and spare me Dan Orlovsky for putting Tennessee on a list yeah. of potential destinations for Baker Mayfield. If Baker Mayfield came to this team, I, I've said this numerous times about various situations. It'd be hard for us to be a Tennessee Titans podcast because I'd be so out of Baker Mayfield being on this team. He's a loser and there's no way that Tennessee Titans would love to have Baker Mayfield based on him not being an adult. He's basically a diaper baby. And I am out Close on Baker Mayfield. Teenager? And I am pro Austin Hooper because Austin Hooper is going to be exactly – Austin Hooper is already 10 times better than any tight end that we've had since uh, Delaney Walker because – Jeff Swain sucks. Anthony Ferkser sucks. Michael Pruitt sucks. Tommy Hudson sucks. Bradley Moore sucks. I can go on and on and on. Johnny Smith? No. Well, oh, Johnny Smith. Yeah. He got eight touchdowns. Damn. Forgot Johnny Smith. Anyway, Johnny Smith is the new, or uh, Austin Hooper's new Johnny Smith. All right. I don't know if he can do as much as Johnny Smith, but maybe the best Titans tight end since Johnny Smith. Yeah. Lucas, we have just cracked an hour. But nice. I, I need a couple more minutes from you if you've got it, because we got to talk up one. Absolutely. And if, if we normally only talk football on this podcast, but I, I've I've built a pretty unhealthy obsession with F1 racing. Zach is now in on it. Lucas, I know you're in on it. I know a lot of our listeners are in on it just by the way they interact on Sundays during race day. But I'm getting as into F1 as I've ever been into any sport. I. I ESPN picking up the rights in 2017 to simulcast uh, the Sky Sports broadcast, but doing it live and covering all the events as they happen, including practices, uh, qualifying. I think that's been a huge help. Obviously, the Netflix series um, is has been a massive success in the U.S. and is continuing to drive good numbers and drive an American attendance and presence and viewership of F1 that they've not had in the past, but it's done a number on me and I'm hooked. Yeah. Uh, race one past Sunday, Bahrain, new car out this year, 
Ferrari finishes one, two, which was beautiful enough to see, but Red Bull with no points coming out of this app car, both cars come apart in the last just few laps of the race. Mercedes off the pace finished that looked like they were going to finish in the middle of the pack ended up, you know, finishing what three and four because of Red Bull dropping out, but, but no mistake about it. Mercedes is off the pace by a few seconds and Haas finishing in the top five. Mm -hmm. I've never wanted a grown man to get a hug more uh, than Gunther Steiner. And that man just needs a hug and reassurance that through all the bullshit, you're doing the right thing. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Kevin Magnuson too. Like that's a guy that's hard for me to, to have any dislike for. What I love about this too, uh, Lebowski, you bringing this up is like, if you had brought up, you know, Hey, Lucas, give me a couple seconds to talk about what happened in the champions league last week. Boom. Everybody shuts it off. Like, all right, it was good right. football, another upwards. But a lot of people, maybe some people did when you brought that up, but a lot of people are hanging around right now. And that makes me so happy with Formula One and the way it's sort of taken over in the U.S. I do think the Netflix series has a ton to do with it, and that's okay. Uh, You know, that's all good. But, yeah, no, craziness. It's so cool to see Ferrari uh, back on top. And I know they're not some wily underdog that that just has never seen the light of success. But uh, it's been a while, and that's always been, for me, like my dad, you know, my dad followed F1 since he was a little kid. Like, he, he talks about watching the Nicky Lauda crash live uh you know i don't know if y'all have ever oh, wow. seen the movie rush uh yeah. but that whole story i mean and he so i kind of grew up on it and my mom's side of the family is from brazil and it's huge in brazil it's huge uh Ariton senna is one of the biggest sports stars in brazilian history uh he's a martyr there uh so uh so i kind of i grew up with it uh never fully got into it really until the last like three years well, to be honest when the netflix series came out because it allowed me to kind of get intimate with it. Uh, so uh, I'm, I've, I've totally fallen back in love with it. And it makes me so happy that a lot of other people have too. Uh, can't wait to see how Red Bull and, and Mercedes plot together to, to bring back Ferrari's downfall. Uh, Red <laughs> Bull has issues. They've got deep, deep issues. Uh, and I mean, the season just couldn't have started in a more exciting way. And it's weird to say that with the, with, you know, the same team finishing one and two, but and then three and four with the other team, like, you know, any other year would just would have been Mercedes one and two, Red Bull three and four or something. But but this kind of throws a wrench into everything with those big three uh, that makes it so intriguing moving forward. And and oh, just overall, it just makes me so happy that people are like legitimately invested because there's no reason not to be like I, I you have just, a team like do you root for it's always been Ferrari. Yeah, oh, it's, it's always, always been, been Ferrari. Yeah, it's just like the, the Italian bloodlines. That you know, that was always my dad's team. My dad has the Ferrari gear. Uh, yeah, always growing up. You know, if, if you were Italian, you 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 rooted for Ferrari. Uh, the crazy. It's hard for me to become attached to a certain driver. Uh, there's not a single Italian or Brazilian driver on the grid this year, which is very uncommon. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. But yeah, I, I'm I've I've grown up on Ferrari. But I'd be lying if I said that I was 12 years old, just like all in watching every race because you couldn't really get it over here. You know, I'd watch it when I'd go visit family overseas and there was one on. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, may, it just makes me happy that people are legitimately emotionally invested in it. Yeah, I like it from the aspect of I don't have a team, right? Sure. So yeah, I didn't walk away from Drive to Survive mm-hmm. or the uh, little bit of the season that I caught, you know, leading into from Drive to Survive uh, into last season. I don't have a team. I mm-hmm. love the drama and the stories. It's so much more compelling. You know, almost any given season, you're going to have new drivers on new teams and you have George Russell crying and he still somehow gets a 
you know, a job with Mercedes and then you have Terry B- Bodass, you know, I like to call him Bodass. <laughs> he is going, cause that's how oh, everybody's Terry Bodass. Yeah, Terry Bodass. He's going over, you know, and he's now lined up against, you know, Lewis Hamilton right across from each other, you know, at the start of a race is amazing. Yeah. And then the pure just joy of seeing Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc go up against each other in like two big turns in the oh, race yes. and, and it and it failing because Max Verstappen does what he does and pushes his car too much to the limit and it yeah. just ruins everything. And then all of a sudden both Red Bull's computers just completely shut down. It's just <laughs> you you it's all in one race. Like you it there's so much drama in almost every race. And there was almost a right this race was almost gonna be the first one where you didn't even have a caution car or a caution flag or whatever. Oh, so close. It was yeah, so close was and so it was close. wild. There was so much that still happened, and then you you hear everybody bitch, Lewis Hamilton bitches, Max Verstappen mm-hmm. bitches. It's it's just it's crazy. I'm a Christian Horner guy, though. Like, I have to say, Ginger Spice is always my favorite Spice Girl. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm married to a redhead, so you know, okay, that's you fair. know, Christian Horner is my guy, and I, I hate enough. to see I hate to see him struggle a little bit. I know a lot of people hate him, but I'm a Christian Horner guy. The first like two laps of a Formula One race are among the most exciting things in sports, and it's so crazy that it just hasn't just caught on around here until now. I mean, and, and I know the U S like we get stubborn about that, right? Like these are our sports and you know, the world sports don't have to be our sports and that's fine. Uh, but, but it just makes me happy. And the ultimate irony of formula one too, is the most famous race. The most, what would you guys say is the most famous race of the year that, that everybody, you know, if anybody doesn't even follow formula one, like, okay, I know this racetrack. Oh, it's, it's Monaco. Monaco, sure. right? Yeah. And that's the yeah. most boring race. Of the year. Every it's the worst race all year. year, every single year. Like it is, it is so. The, the, <laughs> the t- I've dri- I've driven on like like whenever we'd go visit family over there, we we'd always end up making a stop somewhere and before we came home. So we we were in Monaco one year with my family, and we got to drive. And I was a kid; I was like eight or nine. But we got to drive like on the track because it's a normal street, right? It's just normal streets in Monaco, and in our rental car, we're like driving it. And my God, the elation of my dad! Like just <laughs> he was just on cloud nine, and I didn't I didn't understand it. I had no concept of it, uh, but. <laughs> It's the most boring race of the year because it's just normal street paths and you can't overtake anybody. You can't, you, you, it's, it doesn't even match the excitement of a Bahrain. I loved that track, by the way, <laughs> over the weekend. But uh, the qualifying is great. Uh, but, but yeah, so that's just one of the ironies about it. But just makes ML- me happy. MLS needs a drive to survive. <laughs> throwing it out there they need a drive to survive well it does yeah because mls really is like beautiful chaos you know like like premier league and, and those elite leagues in europe are are more like formula one-esque where it's just the tensions and everything's at stake and on the line but the mls is like it's just kind of this it's like this uh, uh ugly stepchild of, of of world soccer where like the quality of play's gotten really good and we're getting good players over here but like some of the the way that the transactions and the way salaries are structured and, and just some of the hilarious shit that happens with a team having to fly from Charlotte to Seattle and play like jet lagged. Uh, it, it is, it is kind of hilarious. So I do think MLS needs a series, but it wouldn't be drive to survive esque. It would be more of a comedy. I think I hard knocks and the NFL honestly could take a lot of cues from drive to survive because yeah. I, now I know some of this is out of the control of NFL films Plus, it, it appears, and I, I can't back this up right now with facts, but 
if I'm not mistaken, over the last few seasons, coaches and teams have had a lot more say-so, a.k.a. cutting room floor, you know, say-so on what goes into the into the film. So that being said, what draw, what what strikes me from Drive to Survive is how brutally honest these guys want to be because they're so arrogant. I mean, to have Christian Hoarder, Dan Penn, deadpan, look at the camera and say, well, Toto Wolf's just a financial guy. I mean, that's all he is. He's just mm-hmm. into this for a monetary reason. It actually made my jaw drop because <laughs> you don't get that kind of shit talk in other sports, especially in hard knocks. I need like unfiltered shit talking in sports. And that's what this provides. The drivers openly hate each other. Max Verstappen said, I'm not participating in the series. It's a waste of my time. Christian Warner and Toto cannot wait to get in front of the camera so they can both be just arrogant as shit. It's it primes you up to watch the races because you know, the seething and the loathing and the elation and all that shit that's going on behind the scenes. It struck me like, like no other sport has in a long time. I'm getting up at six o'clock in the morning to make (laughs) coffee, to watch qualifying and I, and, and do it without, without batting an eye. I can't get enough mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. The only sport I've ever done that for is, is like the world cup. That is the only yeah. sport yeah. that I would, I would, I would do that for my entire life. But formula one has, has reached that. And the funny thing is season one of drive to survive was, you know, red or uh, Mercedes and Ferrari didn't want, any, want anything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't need that shit. They were, you know, they're, they were the best of the best. They always had been, but red bull kind of new kids on the block sort of. And, and they really embraced that. And now everybody's doing it. Everybody wants to get in front of the spotlight and wants to be everybody in America's favorite team. Now America's getting more races. We've got Austin. You've got Miami. Uh, man, it's just it's just so cool. Uh, and I can't wait for the next one. Lucas, have you been to a race? No, I haven't. Oh, my my uh, my girlfriend went to Austin this past year because she was doing her. Uh, she's a med school. She was doing a rotation in Dallas. Uh, and and some of our friends, actually, some of our really good friends that got me into Drive to Survive a couple of years ago, won a contest to go to Austin and there's a couple that are formula one obsessed and they want a contest to go to Austin and meet Kimi Raikkonen and, and be like VIPs at the race. So my girlfriend got to go and meet up with them and they had an absolute blast. Like Billy Joel performed and they got to check out the race and I was so freaking jealous, but my dad is really trying to, uh, to go to one with me. He, he has been, he scours the calendar every year to find what would work, but I have not been able to yet. Well, I'll, I'll end on this. I, you being the Italian fan, the Ferrari, what I love seeing every year drive survive really does a good job of emphasizing this, how fucking insane Italians get over the Monza race. I Mm. mean, they're like, they're outside the hotel. The drivers can barely get out the door of the hotel because Mm -hmm. they're so rabid for racing and they're so rabid for Ferrari to do well. That to me, it speaks right to my heart. I absolutely love seeing that. It's like the sports scene isn't as diluted, right? As maybe it is here. And we're rabid. Like we are, I'm not going to knock bash American sports fans, but it's like there's soccer and there's racing and and, and everything else is kind of, it's going to be secondary. So yeah, no, it, it's really cool. And I do love that Drive to Survive has kind of made Ferrari into that, like a kind of an underdog. Like, oh, Ferrari, good for them. Yes, they're best. good for them to get there. Like, no, they were always the, the best of the best of the best that everybody wanted to knock off. Uh, but they're just finally getting back there. And it's funny that that everybody now sees them as that. But no, this would be like if, I think Kevin Clark said it the other day, this would be like if Texas won another national championship and someone that have been watching college football for the last five, six years it's like, oh, Good for Texas. You know, it's, it's, they never get anything. They never, they've never won anything. Good for them. 
I think it was Davy Shepard that posted on Sunday that a lot of people are forgetting that that yeah. it's Ferrari we're talking about. I mean, they're not that yeah. far removed from being the bad guys. <laughs> you know what? Let me have it for a second, okay? Because yeah. I I don't have a team either, but I, I I'm you know don't want to just see Red Bull and Mercedes trade one two trade yeah. podium standings all the time. I want a third team to be involved. Yeah. I need this to be more exciting. If it's anything like race one, we're we're definitely in for it. The, the better example would be if you if you just started if you started watching college football in two thousand and six or seven and you watched Alabama win the national championship in 2009 when, with Nick Saban in his second year. He said, oh, man, you know what? Those guys, they've been through so much. Good for Alabama. Good Alabama. for upstart Alabama. Yeah, yeah, man. That is, man, just happy for those guys. Who you is know? this Crimson Tide? <laughs> God, that's so good for it. But, Lucas, you, you've been, you've been, uh, you've been great to have on. You've been great to be patient with us as we cross the hour and 15 mark. This is definitely one of the longest podcasts we've done in a while, but – Really appreciate having you on. I wanted to get that F1 stuff in at the end because I know you're as big a fan as I am. And I hate to say it, I think Zach and I are going to have to stick five minutes of F1 in on the end of every podcast. Love it. Because I, I need to talk about it more. Love it. No, um, appreciate you guys having me, man. I've reached the end of my good day whiskey <laughs> glass. This is all just melted ice that you're looking at now that I have no interest in drinking. So, yeah, appreciate it, man. Anytime. Lucas, your open mic. Pimp your thing. Pimp your shows. Pimp what you do. Yeah, so obviously the Book Rising show is every day, 10 to 1 on 104.5 The Zone. I'm also on Blaine and Mickey uh, from 1 to 3. I produce that show as well. Ultimate Tennessee podcast, uh, me and Will Bowling. I co-host the National Soccer Show with Will Bowling and Davey Shepard. We're actually going to hop on and record that here in an hour and a half, covering Nashville SC. So, yeah, on the Zone Podcast Network. And there is something really fun coming up on the Zone Podcast Network. I've been working for a while that we're really going to start rolling out a little bit after the draft. I know that's a ways away, but uh, it, that that's kind of in the works, sort of an inside look at a lot of stuff and a lot of the people that work in our building. So just kind of be on the lookout for that. Uh, I don't want to say anything else, but uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys. Hey, listen, thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. It's football and other F words. We really appreciate you listening, putting up with us for the last 75 minutes. I hope we didn't lose too many of you talking about racing, but if you're not watching Drive to Survive, you're not watching F1, I promise you, you are actually missing something. This is not NASCAR. This is not us trying to convince you to get into soccer. This is getting into something I promise you the drama is built in from day one that you can love. But again, we're football and other F-words. Uh, we're brought to you by 440. Zach Lyons is my co-host. I am Michael Gillum, your host, and you have just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.